Hello and welcome to the Run the Day podcast. I'm your host, Nick Simmons, and with me as always is Camel LaPre. Say hi, Cam. Hey guys, welcome back. If it's your first time, welcome. We're so excited you joined us. Yeah, and I am so excited about today's interview. It's a guy that I have admired for well over a decade. He is a true Renaissance man. He is a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, a pro triathlete. If there's anyone who runs the day, it is Jesse (laughs) Thomas. He and his wife, Lauren Fleshman, you might know as uh, two of the founders of Picky Bars. And I happen to eat a Picky Bar every single day for breakfast. So there you go. this is a fun one. We recorded a little bit earlier. Cam, what did you think? You've known Jesse and Lauren for a long time. Yeah, and it's so fun just to hear the story. I remember when I was in college here at Oregon, they were just cooking out of kitchens. Out of their own home kitchen. Yeah, yeah it's crazy to see where they've come from, what, 2010 till now. Mm-hmm. They've used built this huge business where you can now find picky bars all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mentioned it in the interview, but they were one of the inspirations for me and Coach Sam to start Run Gum. I would run with Lauren in the evenings. And when we'd get back from our evening shakeout, we'd stop at their house. And in her kitchen was a team of University of Oregon employees that were cranking out bars, yeah. you know, as many as 10,000 bars, I believe he said a month. And I just shook my head. I said, this is so incredible what you guys are building. I would love to one day have a company like this. And totally. sure enough, in 2014, Coach Sam and I launched RunGum. And again, a lot of the inspiration came from what Jesse and Lauren and Steph Rothstein were doing in their small little kitchen back on D Street. The story of you know what Jesse's been through and the ups and downs that every athlete and every entrepreneur go through, I think you guys are really going to like this one. Yeah, I do too. Just hearing everything from his background, being a Stanford graduate, being part of a startup in the Bay Area, now to where him and Lauren are today, settled in Bend, Oregon with their company, Picky Bars. It's an incredible story. You won't want to miss this one. Jesse Thomas coming at you. All right. Well, here he is. And I'm excited for this one. I'm arguably one of the busiest human beings I know. Here he is, the man of many talents, Jesse Thomas. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for squeezing me in. No problem. You're calling from Ben, correct? Yeah. Yep. I'm sitting here in actually the place where Lauren and I record our little podcast as well. So I love your guys' podcast. What was the impetus to start that? I think, you know, to be honest, we, Lauren and I have both written for various publications, right? Lauren has had a blog, which was a big part of her kind of contribution to the sport for a long time. And then she wrote for Runner's World for a couple of years. I've had a blog and then I wrote for Triathlete Magazine for about four years and a half years. And doing that didn't make sense for us anymore, but we always wanted to do something together. And we thought about writing something, but it just didn't seem to make sense to try to write pieces together. We were thinking about this kind of, he said, she said thing. And then we were like, you know, we could just try a podcast and just try, you know, essentially do what we do with our writing, which is answer people's questions, give them tips on various things, but then just do it in a question and answer format with the both of us. And it would be, it would cost us time-wise an hour a week. And then maybe be potentially be valuable for some people. <laughs> it is. And for those who haven't heard of it yet, it's the Work, Play, Love podcast with Jesse and yeah. Lauren. And yep. you guys, you know, you've been married for what, over a decade now? Yeah. Together yeah, for over 10 a decade. Years. And you hear yep. it, what you hear it when they talk. And I mean that in the best way, not in a, in a squabbling <laughs> old couple kind of way. But well, you, you, hear that just, too. You, have a, you have a really natural back and forth and, and you're both very intellectual. You both went to Stanford and you really take the time to listen to the questions that your listeners provide. Yeah. And I think that you do provide some very meaningful responses. And, and I know that I've enjoyed listening to it. And I think that our listeners out there, obviously, you know, you like podcasts. So make sure you check it out. The Work, Play, Love podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. But let's rewind, you know, 
more yeah. than 10 years because I want to learn exactly how you got to be, I call him Mr. CEO, man. And uh, he's, <laughs> it's like one of 10 different things I could call him because Jesse, you're just so busy. So let's go back to when you were a young athlete and you grew yep. up in Ben, correct? Yep. Born and raised here. Yep. And then was a distance runner, you know, track and cross country and also, but also played basketball all through high school as well. So it was never kind of a, never a full-time runner until I went to, to school at Stanford and then ran the steeplechase there and had a little bit of success in, in cross country as well. And that was kind of my sport endurance background. And track and field as well? Yeah. Yeah. So track and cross, field. Yep. Cross country in the fall and, and steeplechase in the spring. Yeah, exactly. A couple indoor races sprinkled here and there that were never successful. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you were obviously, you know, learning time management skills because Stanford isn't exactly the easiest school to go to. So you're a two slash three sport athlete. And I always say that about runners, you know, they say, yeah. oh, you're just a one trick pony or a one sport athlete. No, no. D1 runners are three sport athletes oh, yeah. running cross country, indoor and outdoor, you know, so take us back to what it was like to go to Stanford and to, to be that kind of athlete. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it even goes back into high school. Like I've never in my life felt like I was a pure athlete or, you know, even like a, a pure runner, certainly when I was in, in college. So, you know, when I went to Stanford, I, I wanted to be an engineer as well. And I, I chose mechanical engineering as a major, which is definitely not on the list of kind of coast through majors. No. And then I got accepted into the co-terminal program, which is a bath, which is you basically pursue your master's degree at the same time that you pursue your bachelor's degree. So in five years, I got to kind of graduate with both. And I mean, doing that. And like you said, being full-time athlete, three seasons a year, basically the entire school year. I mean, yeah, man, it was nuts. You know, I'd go straight from NCAAs to you know, literally getting back off the bus into like 48 hours straight of working on my mechanical engineering projects without sleeping, <laughs> you know? And I think that like lifestyle, this kind of like going hard, training hard, racing hard, like focusing on that as much as I can and then balance and then whipping back to working my ass off to accomplish some goals on the other, like kind of in, in my other interests you know, started that a little bit in high school, but then definitely in college. And then, you know, it's more or less, I mean, still doing the same thing. So, <laughs> and that's what I, why I really wanted to talk to you guys. Yeah. I know where this work ethic came from. I mean, I know the training that you're going through as a pro triathlete and I, I know how much stress and work goes into being a CEO. I don't know how much stress and work goes into being a father and a husband yet. So just, you know, the work ethic that you have and the ability to balance your time is just, it's just incredible. So I'm thinking that you're, you know, you're at Stanford, you're studying mechanical engineering, you're burning the candle at both ends. Are you kicking butt on the track or is this starting to add up and taking its toll on you? No, for sure. It's, it's adding up and taking its toll. You know, I think, you know, to a certain extent you could say, I could definitely call myself a jack of all trades, master of none, you know, even, and what I've tried to be ever since the beginning of it in high school or, or in college was just be as good as I could across the various things that I was trying to do. But with the understanding that I was sacrificing some in each of them, in order to do that. And ultimately that was okay because that led to, for me, what I felt like was the peak maximization of myself personally, in terms of what I could accomplish, what I could produce and give to the world. And more importantly, what made me happy 
when I, the times when I did go full bore into running or into triathlon, even at the beginning of my career, it just didn't work. I, I wasn't, I ironically became a worse athlete. I think the balance for me, even though it detracts a little bit, it helps me personally being yeah, able I think, to do, do other I, things. I definitely think too often today we all look at, you know, successful people and say, oh, well, they had this single minded determination and they didn't focus right. on anything else. And that's what led to their success. But some of the greatest athletes and certainly the ones with longevity don't subscribe to that school of thought. They say, you know, yeah. you know, yourself, myself, Lauren Fleshman, and so many others cultivated multiple interests because they knew that when things weren't going well, they could diversify their interests and diversify their passions and fall back on other things. And they not fall back is the right word, but just have something, have an outlet. So some yeah. of your outlets, I imagine during school, you know, when classes maybe weren't going well, you'd go and focus on athletics. And when athletics weren't going well, you could go and focus on academics. And I think that that too often t- in today's world, we forget that cultivating that multifaceted personality and the, those different interests is so important for longevity, especially. I totally agree. And, you know, just rounding yourself out as a human being, you know, I think is the other part of it, you know, seeing other schools of thought, exposing yourself to, to other disciplines and, you know, looking back on it, I wouldn't do it a different way. Obviously I've continued to do it up until I'm, you know, I'm almost 40 years old and I like the breadth of life that it gives me. Did you have aspirations of being a pro athlete while you were at Stanford? I have wanted to be a pro athlete ever since I started watching Magic Johnson. <laughs> and did the, ba- <laughs> did the pro six. basketball dreams fade away rather early on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. I probably held on to them until I was maybe like a freshman in high school. <laughs> and, then, and then it was like, okay, there's, there's no way. This the game is changes happen. a bit at that point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I had Olympic aspirations as a distance runner, 100%, like most distance runners do. You know, and I worked really hard. I got, I was, uh, I think I was 11th at USA's my senior year in college in the steeplechase. And I was young. I mean, I was 22 and had two years to go to the next Olympic trials and had planned on making that my focus, but then got a navicular stress fracture the following fall and in my fifth year cross country season and just laid me out forever. And then I lost a lot of momentum. I was I was working really hard on my master's degree. I lost a lot of athletic momentum, was working really hard on my master's degree and had a startup opportunity that came about and just didn't have any funding or support of any kind to run. And to be honest, I just could, I actually just physically couldn't run. I ended up not being able to run for a couple of years while that thing healed. Yeah. Navicular's are potentially career ending injuries for yeah. sure. And you know, anyone out there that's suffered through one knows exactly what you're talking about. So to stay sane during all this, are you swimming? Are you biking? Are you lifting? Are you trying to, to stay in shape, you know, when you can sneak away from classes? Well, yeah, what ended up happening was I got into cycling because it didn't bother my foot. And I started to become competitive cycling. Like at the end of my master's degree, I started racing on road bikes. And then, you know, over the course of about three to six months, decided I was going to race in the Tour de France, you know, which I mean, I had, you know, I had clearly had talent for cycling and and I was ascending up the ranks pretty fast. But at the same time, I had no idea what that really entailed uh, cycling in the Tour. Right. You're you're certainly not afraid to set your goals, you know, high. No, I mean, yeah, I thought I could be a professional cyclist, you know, and and it's kind of like this pivot from like, oh, man, you know, well, distance running, professional running didn't work out. So maybe cycling can work out. And I was like really gearing up, really psyched on that, riding my bike 25 hours a week. And then I crashed uh, just on an easy training ride with a buddy and broke my neck. And that was in 2004. It was right as I was finishing my 
master's degree. And that, you know, that injury just laid me out for, I mean, a year, a year and a half. I was, I didn't even, I didn't ride a regular bike for about 18 months, much less do any running or anything serious, you know, for a while. It was, it was pretty bad. And it was during that time that was kind of a forced retirement from athletics because the injury was so bad and so limiting physically that it, it forced me to be like, to basically assume that I was done competing. And in hindsight, it was kind of, there was a, a blessing in disguise there because it forced me to work in the Bay area at a startup. I learned so many things that eventually became valuable. I made some great friends who were not athletic compatriots of any kind. And I just had this whole other version of my life that existed that was completely independent of athletics that then I think eventually allowed me to keep balance when I actually did become a professional athlete five years later in triathlon. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're also, I hate to rewind again, but you, you know, you've got a partner with you along for this ride. I think we would be remiss to not mention Miss Lauren Fleshman, who you had dated throughout college. Where, yeah. where is she during all this? So she, her and I, so like, I like, I like to say with Lauren and I, we were on again, off again, but mostly off again <laughs> for, for about seven years. We started dating in 2000. And then by the time I graduated in 2003, 2004, we were kind of broken up for like the third time, I would say, and took a few years break. And then in 2006, we got, we flirted with getting back together, but then didn't <laughs> took another year break <laughs> and then in 2007 or actually it was late 2006. So it must've been 2005, 2007, we got back together and then, and then we're married just less than a year later. Incredible. I, and I've heard Lauren tell the story a few times and she says the day she met you, she knew she was going to marry you. So she didn't let these little, <laughs> these little speed bumps get in her way. <laughs> no, you know, contrary to what she told me many times during that stretch, <laughs> Uh, it's an incredible story. And you guys have been married, you say now for, for nearly a decade or just over it. Yeah. It's been over 10 years. Yeah. It'll be, um, actually it'll be 11 years here in a few weeks. Just nuts to think about that. I, I just can't believe that we're getting so old. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys are still pretty young, <laughs> No, but you know, I really got to know you guys when you made the transition to, to come live in Eugene. So how, yeah. how do you go from being a Bay area couple, you know, young and, and in the startup culture to deciding to come to Tracktown USA? Well, Lauren was still racing professionally and still sponsored by Nike at the time. And so she transitioned up to Oregon Track Club where, you know, we're obviously where she was running with you originally with Vin and then with Mark Rowland. And I just basically, I had done three and a half years at the startup in San Francisco. It was like, you know, 80 hours a week, like full gas tech startup. And I was burnt. And so I was just ready to go do something else. And I had always considered going back to business school, had never considered Oregon really, but Lauren was going to be in Eugene and Oregon was there. And I looked into their program and it had this cool sports business angle and then also an entrepreneurship angle. And I kind of straddled the two and ended up, yeah, going to business school there. And then we were, yeah, we were there for those two years and Lauren was racing professionally. And then for about three years after that, while I started my professional career and Lauren transitioned her professional career and we started Piggy Bars. I am so honored to have been around you guys while you're creating the company that is uh, yeah. Picky Bars. For those who haven't heard of Picky Bars, you need to go check them out because it was watching you guys create this company, the struggles and the triumphs, and just seeing it from start 
co- basically a concept to going to market that led me to have the confidence of saying, hey, I can do this too, and ultimately creating Run Gum with my coach, mm-hmm. Sam LaPrey. But I don't want to talk about Run Gum. I want to talk about Picky Bars. What led Lauren and you and Steph to create this company? Of all the companies out there, and I know you guys are all brilliant, probably had a, 101 ideas, why Picky Bars? Well, honestly, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a conscious decision to start the company, which is the way a lot of companies start. Uh, you know, I had just graduated from business school and I could have told you in about two minutes after some market analysis that the energy bar category was one of the last categories you wanted, you wanted to get into um, for a product. Yeah. Cause super competitive, low margin. I mean, just, just hard, you know, just tough. You're competing against guys that have, I mean, literally hundreds of millions of dollars to spend at the top end, you know, but you know, what ended up, it was just one of those natural things that where I started training for triathlon, I was taking a break from, you know, I'd finished business school. I was consulting and I was interested in being athletic again, pursuing professional uh, triathlon. And I was having all these stomach issues. Like you said, I was training a bunch, eating four to 6,000 calories a day. And Lauren wanted to create an energy bar for me that was sports performance, nutrition principles, but then made with real food. So with the idea that it would, wouldn't upset my stomach as much, I, I could eat more of it without eating a whole bunch of overly processed ingredients and chemicals. And that was the genesis for it. It was literally my stomach pains. <laughs> and, and I remember and, Lauren and Steph are grinding stuff up in their kitchen mixer yeah. and, and putting them in ovens. And this is so great. And for those who, who've been around for the last decade watching this company grow, you'd put them in little dime bags yeah. and, and slap yeah. a sticker on them. And they, I mean, you literally couldn't make them fast enough. People were, were just, you know, especially here in town, we're just begging for more picky bars. And I, I watched you go from two or three people to five people to six people. And this was a production line. I mean, you guys had it all yeah. worked out and you were just slinging these bars left and right. It was so, <laughs> and it was right down the street from my house. So yeah, I'd, I'd go and park my truck down by your house and I'd go for a run with Lauren after yep. work and come back and just see the, the elves in there packing bars. <laughs> and it was so, it was so raw and so honest and so organic. And I mean that both in the sense of the ingredients you were using yeah. and the nature of the company. Yeah, totally. What was it like being part of your second startup, but a startup really that you were creating? I mean, it was so different, right? The one that I had done before was tech startup. We got technology out of Stanford and then we raised a bunch of money to develop it into a consumer product. So it was totally different. It was funded. It was a totally different space. This was Lauren and I putting a couple thousand bucks into you know, buying some ingredients and a few basic kitchen tools to be able to make these on our own. And then just setting up a website. You know, I, re- I made our original website on iWeb, mm-hmm. if anybody remembers what that is, and just doing it, like you said, super organically. And it was awesome. I, it was a circus looking back on it. I mean, we when we were on D Street there, we had, like you said, at the peak, we had 10 University of Oregon students who were working five a shift for four hours to eight hour, two, four hour shifts. So eight hours a day, five days a week, making bars nonstop. We were making, I think at our peak, we were making about 15,000 to 17,000 bars a month in D street on D street. Come kitchen. On, that's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, um, just all by 100% by hand, we bought like a Hobart mixer, uh-huh. but the rest of it was just mashed up. People were hand mashing them. We, you know, we, we did the best that we could with kind of hand tools and stuff. And like you said, dime bags with a sticker. Yeah. I mean, it was nuts. It was super fun. I mean, I'll look back on that and the pictures that we have from that time and 
it's so different now, you know, but not at the same time. I mean, we just aren't making the bars physically ourselves, which is great, but that, that was just a really unique time. It was really crazy. So literally just kind of in your home kitchen and then in your garage and yeah. everything until you outgrow it. All right. We'll be right back for the conclusion of this interview, but first a word from our sponsor. Special thank you to Rungum. Rungum is an energy gum designed to help people make the most of their busy days. Created by a two-time Olympian, Rungum provides an immediate boost in energy and focus when you need it most. Helping people run the day since 2014. Learn more and start your trial at rungum.com. But you do recognize at some point that you can't keep up that way and you do outgrow it and you have to go find a contract manufacturer. Yeah. How was that process for you guys? It's not, it's not easy for the, those listening. You know, contract manufacturer, they're not all created equal. And, and the way I like to describe them is if, if your grandma was to make you a batch of cookies, those dozen cookies are going to be the best cookies you've ever had. But if you yep. go out and find a, a contract manufacturer and say, hey, make my grandma's cookies, but I need you to make them a million at a time, they're going to lose some of that essence that was grandma's batch of cookies. So you, you go out and you vet these contract manufacturers and you're looking for the best price and you're looking for the best quality. Was it a nationwide search for you guys? Were you looking for something close to home? How did you find that first contract manufacturer? It wasn't a nationwide search. We didn't even know what we were looking for. I mean, that's the thing. Like back then, you know, it was literally like, I remember searching like energy bar maker, energy bar manufacturer. And it was like, it was so hard to even know the right terms to search. And then what I quickly realized was I talked to, I found four or five different places and I talked to them all and they were all like, okay, we need 50,000 units a skew. So that's 50,000 units of flavor, minimum order. And we were like, you know, at that time we had four flavors. We were selling 15,000 bars total across those four flavors a month. Right. So I'm like, we, we have to buy four, five months worth of inventory. It was just a totally different, like, you know, all of a sudden that's where you're like, wow, you need cash. You need like investment to be able to do this. And we, we were way too early to even think about doing that. We didn't know what we were doing. What we ended up finding was a place that had been creating their own energy bars that had extra time on their machinery. Yeah. yeah who were just getting into contract manufacturing. I think we were their, their first customer. And so their minimums were super low. So, you know, for better and certainly for worse in a lot of ways, it was like the blind leading the blind when we started with them, but that's how we did it. We were manufacturing up in Spokane with Bumble Bar and, and it was a, just like you said, a huge learning curve, porting everything that we had done in our home kitchen up to a machine that could do it, creating wrappers that would you know, work on the flow wrapping machine. And it was a lot of learning, but you know, we were lucky. We, we were forced to do it at a certain time because all of our, our entire work staff was leaving for the summer. <laughs> so it was basically the like, trouble of hiring college yeah, labor, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like summer 2012 It's coming like June 1st. We have to be, we have to have somebody else making the bars. And that's what we did. And that was a huge transition for us. And then you outgrew them as well. And yep. had to find a new contract manufacturer. And I, I don't know how many you've been through, but I knew, know that the last transition was a particularly painful one for you. And actually your podcast where you and Lauren talk about this most recent transition was just so, so honest and really transparent with your customers so we could understand what was going on. I'll be honest. I'm on a bar day habit with you guys. I um, am honored to be one of your athletes. And I, (laughs) 
I chew a picky bar every single morning before I go work out. And I was a little nervous because I went, <laughs> yeah. for, a month, I went for a month without picky bars. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, I was following along and I would say anxious for you guys to, yeah. to get supply going again. So tell us a little bit about that. What happened? Why ultimately you were able to persevere and, and get through that tough time? And, and in my opinion, create a product now today that I've got my, my inventory back up with a great new wrapper, great new messaging, same quality messaging and, and great product that I get to enjoy. Yeah, thanks. It was a long process. And so, you know, the bigger you get, the, you know, it's like a barge. It's harder to turn, right? And that, that's the analogy that a lot of people use. And, you know, we were making a million and a half bars a year with, with Bumble Bar, and we were stretching out their capacity to produce that. And I noticed about 12, 15 months ago that we were starting to have problems with basically just a lot of wasted ingredients as you know they were trying to keep up with our demand. And that was costing us a whole bunch of money. The product was inconsistent. And so we needed to find a place. And I started full-time trying to look for a new contract manufacturer after I finished Kona last October. And it took us, yes, yeah, six, eight months to find one, get up and going, and, you know, finally get everything set and get product in. And what ended up happening with the out of stock was really like, it was just a perfect storm of a perfect shit storm. If I can use that word oh, on absolutely. your podcast, yeah. <laughs> but it was just no like, other way um, to describe it. Yeah, it was, I mean, we were switching contract manufacturers. So we kind of had finished with the old guys. We had made as much product as we could to like, give us as much of a buffer as possible to get to the new guys, knowing that it was going to take longer than, you know, what we had thought and what they had said and everything else. And then what ended up happening was all that product that we made, the, the kind of big batch at the end ended up having an ingredient that tasted off. And so all the bars tasted different. And we ended up holding back at least four of like half of our bars from that because we just didn't want people to ex be experiencing that as our bar. Mm -hmm. And that was a really tough call. I mean, like you said, like we were out of stock for four weeks. I mean, that, it cost us a lot of money in the peak of the summer, which is the peak of our selling season. But ultimately it was a call that Lauren and I made. And luckily you know, we put kind of all our eggs in this one basket with this new co-packer and new packaging. And we are just super lucky that everything came out really well. Like you said, the packaging looks great. And more importantly, the bar tastes amazing. It does. And uh, yeah, better, better than it ever has, to be honest, which is fantastic. So it was a huge learning curve for me. It was a real bummer financially because we had, we were kind of like at the end of this long kind of you know, unprofitable stretch where we were really struggling to make the bars at a cost-effective amount. And then we had this like crazy dip, like right at the, right at the end of it, it was like a kick while you're down, mm. you know, but the future looks really, really good. It's not, nothing that we can't recover from. It was just, it was just a bummer to have that kind of, like I said, that shit storm of, of things all happen at the same time. But like I've told my staff, it's kind of like, we're weirdly now in picky bars, like worst point in history and best point in history, <laughs> because we're at the bottom of the pole, but we have a clearer line of sight to, to daylight than we ever have. And so far, since we've had the product out for three or four weeks, I mean, the response has been phenomenal, you know, and I don't know how long that response will continue, but, you know, we had record sales months across every channel in August 
and so far, you know, it's only been a few days in September, but it doesn't look like things are slowing down. So hopefully, hopefully it continues. Yeah. Well, and that's the life of the entrepreneur, right? It's valleys and troughs. And and when you're up, you know, you're always nervous about what shit storm is going to come your way. And when you're down, there's nowhere to go but up. It's never a smooth ride. And, and the entrepreneurs that are successful are the ones that persevere through those ups and downs. And it's very much, it's athletics, right? I yeah. mean, that's, that's you, the whole you've thing. Been tra- you've been training for this your yeah. entire life on the track. It's totally, it's, there's so many characteristics that go into making up a good athlete that also make up a great entrepreneur. Yeah. So let's talk about where you are going as an athlete and where your, your company is going. I know you also have picky oats out now, which yeah. I've tried as well. And those are fantastic. And Thanks. so is it more flavors? Is it more products on the picky bar side? And then after that, let's get into your, your upcoming races a little bit. Yeah. So I think picky bars, you know, I have clearly seen the value to picky bars and to our, to picky bars customers of us creating new products. And I think now that I know more about the industry, you know, with our current energy bar line, I would, I would say we're like over skewed almost like we have almost too many flavors in terms of to, not necessarily for our customers. I mean, our customers actually like every flavor. We don't have any from other flavors. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just from like a financial logistics, like supply chain, it would make more sense for us to have five or six flavors as opposed to nine, mm-hmm. right? We could make them more cost effectively to, to, you know, and we'd still, we could still provide a nice breadth of flavor to the customer. But we looked at, we looked at dropping some flavors when we made this transition. And ultimately there were no like stragglers, mm-hmm. you know? So we're like, we're, we're going to keep them. And so, but long story short, what that means is for me, we're definitely not making any more bars that are of this nutritional profile. But what we will do is create some new products. Like you said, we launched a performance oatmeal line, which is something that I've always wanted to to make, which is, you know, I eat oatmeal almost every day before my workouts and races. And there's lots of oatmeals out there, but none of them are made specifically for athletes. So we made this one with a little bit bigger serving size lower sugar, high natural protein content, no added like protein powders or anything like that. And then some superfood ingredients, depending on which flavor you get. And the response to those have been really good. And that really kept us alive through the you know rough patch that we had in the summer with the bars. And so my strategic goal for the next year is for us to launch. Honestly, I'm trying to set a goal for at least one new product every quarter and be really aggressive about it. Spend a lot of our time and a lot of our energy and a lot of our money in new products. We're hoping that- Do you mean a new product line or a new SKU? A new SKU. Okay. So that could be an additional, we we obviously won't create any more energy bars that are as they sit now. We might create, or we have some new bars that would be a different nutritional profile in the mix. We have some new oatmeal flavors that would be in the mix. And then we have, so we have a couple different products too. I'm still a little bit too early to reveal those, but say you're getting me excited. Yeah, tell me I know, what, tell me I know. What. Yeah. I know. but we were, I'm hoping to have one new product for the holidays. Actually, there will be a completely new product and then have a new bar early next year. And that, so those are the ones that are on the horizon on the most immediate horizon. So lots of stuff to look forward to Absolutely. for us, lots of work for us to do you know, and we'll see how the, how that goes. So those are the main things for picky bars. And, and, and then about, I, how about training yeah. and competition? Yeah. Yeah. Me athletically. So, you know, I'm in an interesting spot. Like I feel like I'm where you were maybe a year or two ago where I've got, you know, I finished, I, I did this big race in July where it was a huge Ironman and I got, I finished third place and I went under eight hours in the Ironman. And that was for me, that was like kind of my last big goal 
in the sport, to be honest, was to get a, a sub eight hour Ironman. And now I kind of like look at, you know, what I have left to accomplish. And I'm not really sure that there's a lot there driving me to train and race, at least at a world-class level. What I'm interested in doing is doing, continuing to do some triathlons and maybe some of them at a high level, but, but branching out into some other races, doing stuff like the pole pedal paddle over here in Bend. There's a bunch of other races that are like that multi-sport races with that combined skiing and kayaking and mountain biking and all, all different kinds of stuff, doing some Xterra racing, honestly, transferring kind of from like what I would call a world-class athlete to trying to be a world-class CEO. Yeah. And that's my primary focus and picky bars goals, my primary focus, and then having the athleticism stuff still be important and still go do that because it's important to be healthy and have fun and push yourself, but have it be not be trying to compete at a world-class level. Yeah. I know firsthand that starting a business is, is a bit like have, and i don't mean to offend any parents out there because I don't personally know what it's yeah. like to have a child, but it's a bit like having a child. You know, that business right. is going to demand attention from you. And sometimes you're going to have to push things aside for it, you know, and then training, of course, is the same way. It's not just a job. It's a lifestyle. It's a 24 yeah. seven commitment. And then, you know, you also have a couple human children that you're responsible for. So really you've got three different commitments that at any time could say, Hey, Jesse, we need your attention right now. What is it like, you know, when those three storms all converge at once, how do you divide your attention when three really important things all demand it from you? It's just picking and choosing whatever is most important on that day, you know, and it, and it really flows. I mean, well, you know, when the shit hits the fan, my family is more important than anything. Right. And yeah. so, so then it's like, you know, understanding what they need from me, what I should be providing to them in terms of my time and, and energy and everything else and being around them as, as much as I can within the guise of, st of not letting down my responsibilities to my coach and to my employees. And then what's great is my family and my coach and my employees, they all know that, you know, it's pretty clear that I've got these other things in my life and they each, I would say, graciously share me off and on as the season ebbs and flows, as picky bars year ebbs and flows, and as, you know, family time ebbs and flows as well. So depending on the time of year, I might be 70% athlete and 20% family and 10% picky bars. And then a different time of year, it could be a totally different ratio, you know? Oh yeah. And yeah. So, and then just swinging through and balancing them, you know, throughout the year and making sure that you're keeping everybody happy and keeping yourself happy, you know, as best you can. I think that's great. And obviously yeah. you found a way to balance them all. And, you know, as a guy who's known you for over a decade now, I've just been super impressed with everything you've done in your athletic career, in Thanks. business, and then also, you know, the family life that you've been able to successfully create. So I've enjoyed chatting with you. I've enjoyed watching your success, you know, in, in all of these different endeavors that you've tackled. And I just can't wait to see what's next for Picky Bars and for the Fleshman Thomas family. And, you know, I'm excited for what lies ahead. And I'm, I'm sure that given your track record, you guys are going to be very successful. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's been fun, you know, also following you and, and Runcom. And I have a ton of respect for what you guys have done and, and what you're doing. And, you know, Lauren and I are huge proponents of athletes taking it into their own hands to create and deliver their own value to their fans and, and to customers and, and anybody else. And you're definitely one of the leaders in that space. So keep it up. Like I said, you guys inspired yeah. me when we used to <laughs> yeah, waddle totally. down to D Street. <laughs> so, yep, for sure. Thanks. No, for it's, 
Just fun that, to see it. Thanks for keeping me uh, me fed and fueled as well. Of course. Make sure you guys check out Picky Bars. I know your subscription service is huge. I happen yep. to be a subscriber and I love getting those packages every month. If people want to follow Picky Bars, where can they do that? And if they want to follow you, how can they do so? Yeah, Picky Bars is just at Picky Bars on Instagram and Twitter. And then we've got a Facebook page. And then for me, I'm at Jesse M. Thomas. My middle name is McDonald. Okay. <laughs> just Jesse M. Thomas. And you can find me on all the social channels as well. And and then check us out at pickybars.com. Like Nick said, we have you can buy all of our stuff there, one off. But then we also have a subscription service called the Picky Club, which is the most economical way to get shipments on a one, two, or three month delivery plan. And you get bigger discounts the more you spend. So definitely check that out as well. Be sure to load up. I know I have. Sweet. Jesse, you're the man. Yeah. Hey, thanks again for your time yep. and best of luck with everything. Yeah, thanks, Nick. A big thank you to everyone for joining us on that episode. If you want to find out more or listen to other episodes, go to rungum.com slash podcast. Also, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes or your preferred player. I'm Nick Simmons, and you've been listening to the Run the Day podcast. Until next time.